today on Let the Bible Speak. It seems like everything in our world is shaking right now. But today on Let the Bible Speak, we talk about something that cannot be shaken, regardless of what happens around us. And a good day to you. I'm so glad you're here to consider the eternal Word of God. This is a Bible study program where we endeavor to let the Bible speak about the many questions and perplexities that confront us today. As we watch news events unfold, it's easy to reach the conclusion that the world around us is increasingly unstable. Some are suggesting that we are seeing a shift in world affairs and superpowers such as the United States are losing that status and growing weaker. While we will leave that for the historians and the politicians to debate, what history does tell us is that nations rise and fall, kingdoms conquer and then they crumble. It is unsettling, if not frightful, to witness the instability and upheaval that changing times bring, but this is the nature of the kingdoms of men. Even the greatest of powers will eventually diminish and perhaps even disappear from the face of the earth. The New Testament book of Hebrews was written, we believe, to Christians who were seeing the unfolding of events that presented serious challenges to their faith. They were struggling to leave the old life of Judaism and temple worship behind as they embraced Christ and were tempted to return to it as the threat of persecution loomed over them. Added to this, their beloved city of Jerusalem, and most importantly the temple within it, was about to be destroyed. And so the apostle wrote to these troubled Christians and exhorted them to be faithful and cling to Christ, for he was better than all the sacrifices, ceremonies, and commandments of that old system. He was the fulfillment and fruition of all those things, and what they had in Christ would never be surpassed or replaced by any other system of religion. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 23, we read, "...to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven." and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven." And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. It is good to know that in a shaken world there is a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I want to talk with you about that today and show you what it means to be a citizen of an unshakable kingdom. And I'll return with a study after a song from the congregation.
The inspired writer of Hebrews pens this letter to a group of believers amid what seems to them a catastrophe. Their entire lives have been upended by the gospel of grace. All their lives were wrapped up in the law and the covenant of Moses. In their eyes, it made them a superior race, gave them a perfect creed. They had tenaciously clung to the law and the temple and all that they represented. It was their culture. It was their life. It was their identity. And in following Christ, it was difficult to cross the bridge and leave their world behind. Jerusalem was a holy city, and the temple on Mount Zion was an imposing symbol of the fact that God was the God of the Jews. Moses was the greatest of all prophets. The Jewish race was the supreme race. Jerusalem was the supreme city. And the temple was the supreme cathedral of the living God. These were the basic theological beliefs of the Hebrew. But now every one of these ingrained doctrines was being shaken. The temple had already been shaken when Christ died on Mount Calvary just outside the city wall. For when he died came that divine sign when an earthquake shook the land and the hand of God ripped the veil of the temple from top to bottom, at last opening up a new way and the way unto God. A prophet greater than Moses had arisen. And now with the establishment of the church and the proclamation of the gospel throughout all of the lands, he had now offered his kingdom to all kindreds, tongues, and nations. He had now made men and women of all colors, tongues, and tribes to be equal in Christ. He had replaced the old covenant that they had lived under for so long with one that was new and better in every way. And now the storm clouds were gathering over the long home of their faith itself, the city of Jerusalem. For now even the city would fall in the holy temple was on the verge of being forever destroyed. You must try to imagine how all of this must have felt to the Jews, even to those who had believed in Christ and followed Him. To the Jew, it must have seemed as though his world was crumbling around him. The ancient tree of his faith was being shaken, and everything he had known all of his life was falling on every side. This presented a challenge to the faith and courage of these unsteady Christians. It's always difficult to look beyond our immediate circumstances and to see the larger picture, to look beyond the temporal and see the eternal. As the times change, as traditions are forgotten, as time-tested institutions are assailed, and as the world as we have known it slips away and we face an unknown future, it's very easy to become dismayed and to lose heart. To these troubled brethren of the first century, the apostles' message was that when this shaking was over, when the things that could be shaken had fallen, there would remain some things that could not and would never be shaken. And the same assurance is offered to Christians today. The nations, kingdoms, and empires of the world, no matter how mighty and great they may be at one time or another, they will all crumble. They will one day, one day be a footnote in history. The things around us will be shaken, but there are things that will always remain. And that, my friend, is where our faith and allegiance belong. And may God help us to remember that. The Hebrew writer here speaks of the great transitions of time as shakings. And he speaks of two great shakings that have taken place that each marks the beginning of a new era of time and a new administration of things. He first goes back to the law being given to Moses on Mount Sinai. This caused a literal shaking of the ground. In verse 26, he reminds them that when God gave the old law to Moses more than 1,500 years before on the smoking mountaintop of Sinai, that his voice then shook the earth. 
Now, this initiated a new dispensation, which was marked by a literal earthquake when God spoke to Moses. But then he says, But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Now, this is a quotation from the prophet Haggai during the building of the second temple. The prophet's sermon to ancient Israel back then reads like this over in Haggai, the second chapter, beginning in verse 6. There he says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Here we already see a difference in the language between the shaking of the earth when God spoke to Moses and gave that law unto that physical nation of people. But he says there's coming another shaking. And he uses language that indicates this will be a spiritual shaking. He says, I will fill this new temple, this house with glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. This is a magnificent prophecy concerning the temple and its ultimate messianic fulfillment. Now, Haggai is encouraging the rebuilding of the destroyed temple. But in so doing, he is pointing with a prophetic finger to its antitype to one day come, the spiritual temple that Christ would build, which is his church. He says that there would be this one last shaking, that is, there would be one last transition in the plan of God for his people on earth. You see, the temple that they were building then was a replacement to Solomon's temple, which had been destroyed when Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. This second temple would never equal the beauty or grandeur of the first temple, even with the costly and ornate renovations of Herod years later. It would still pale in comparison to what Solomon built. It would, for one thing, lack the Shekinah glory. But Haggai says that that is all right because this temple would not be permanent. It pointed to something far greater. This temple too would be shaken and it would one day fall in everything that it represented. And in its place there would stand the permanent temple of God. But make no mistake, not a temple made with stone and precious metal and jewels and built by the hands of men, but a spiritual and an everlasting temple that the Messiah himself would build on spiritual Mount Zion. This would not be a literal building, but would be a spiritual house where God would come down and dwell among his people. It would be the Lord's kingdom, the church of Christ. And all the nations of the earth, he says, would come into this temple and worship, and God's glory would forever fill it. This is what the Hebrew writer speaks of in our text. He speaks of this one last shaking when the Mosaic covenant, its law, its priesthood, its animal sacrifices, its tabernacle and temple, its yearly atonement, all of that would be taken away, for they were but temporary. The Christians to whom the Hebrew letter was addressed were to mature in their faith to the point that the shaking of those things that had been so important to them would not shake their faith in Christ. So then he goes on in verses 27 to 28 and says, And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made. That is, all of these things that came through Moses, the temple built by the hands of men, Those things will be shaken and removed, he says, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Then he says, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace 
whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now today our faith is not being challenged by the removing of the Old Covenant or Herod's temple. But we today look about us and we see the temporary things of earth being violently shaken. And we wonder what this means for us. We wring our hands over the future of America or political unrest around the globe. We see the looming threat of terrorism or communism or other isms that we view as a threat to our peace and our safety and our welfare. And Christians get caught up in all of that fear. The message to Christians today, though, is the same as it was to Christians living in the first century. Wherefore, we have received a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us thereby have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Stop fearing what will happen in the world and rather fear the one who holds the world in his hand. You may need to lay down the newspaper, turn off the news. You may need to get off those internet news sites and put your head and your mind in God's holy word and read about the kingdom that can never be shaken. Read about the spiritual priesthood and nation that will never be moved, that will never be destroyed. And that's where your faith and my faith needs to be. The writer says the things that when time has toppled, all of the things that we think of as so important, the things that remain are unshakable. And that which still stands and will forevermore stand is the kingdom of Christ. So I first of all want to point out that the kingdom of Christ is an unshakable kingdom. And we are not waiting for that kingdom to appear, despite what many religionists and preachers tell us today. That kingdom exists in the world right now. It is a spiritual kingdom that began when Christ ascended to the Father and took his seat at the right hand of God and was given all power and authority. Christ was crowned that day. And the Bible says that kingdom will never be destroyed. Now the book of Daniel records an incredible prophecy of that kingdom in Daniel chapter 2. When the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that the prophet Daniel was called to interpret. It was an incredible dream. He, He dreamed of a great and formidable image with a head of fine gold, its chest and arms made of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. He then saw a stone cut out without hands, the Bible tells us, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the rest of the image crumbled and was crushed and blown away by the wind until not a trace was left. Well, what did all of this mean? When Daniel interpreted the king's dream, he began by saying in verses 37 and 38, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. You remember God sets up and takes down kings and rulers. Nobody holds authority that sovereign God does not allow them to possess. He says, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. In other words, the kingdom over which Nebuchadnezzar ruled, the empire of Babylon was a powerful and it was a mighty empire. And Daniel says, Thou art this head of gold in this image. He then goes on to describe the succession of mighty empires that would arise and rule down through the next several hundred years. As one kingdom went, another would come, and it would culminate in the rise of the Roman Empire in existence when Christ was born. Now these empires were rich, they were powerful, they had formidable armies, they were influential, they seemed unstoppable. 
But those empires were all destroyed and thousands of years ago. And there is not a kingdom on the face of this earth that will not wax and then wane and that will not at some point lie in the dust heap of history. Remember that. Daniel says that all of those kingdoms would come to naught as great as they were. But notice in verse 44, when he comes to the last of these great world powers, the Roman Empire, he says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. No other kingdom would be compared to it, and no other power would conquer it. No earthly power, nor even the power of Satan in his kingdom, could or will ever destroy it. We have received, the Hebrew writer says, a kingdom which cannot be moved. And my friend, its capital is not in Washington, D.C. It is not in London, England. It is not in Beijing, China. It is not in Kabul, Afghanistan. It's not even in Jerusalem. It is in the heavenly Jerusalem. It is in heaven above. And for 2,000 years, Satan has hurled his fiery darts at her, and world powers have sought to crush her. Yet the kingdom of our Lord, the church of his Christ, still stands and ever will. Kingdoms, rulers, evil men, Satan himself, have sought the church's destruction and have sought to bring to naught the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they cannot and they will not, and 2,000 years of history testifies to that fact. It is an unshakable kingdom. It is an unshakable kingdom today because it has an unshakable king. When Jesus came to earth, Christ could not be overcome by any power, not the least of which is death. He proved that in his resurrection. And friend, if he could conquer death, the greatest and most tenacious enemy of all mankind, then he holds power over all other forces. Make no mistake, despite the seeming chaos and upheaval that we see in the world today because of sin's existence in the world, Christ is sitting firmly on his throne. You'd better believe it. The governments of men are fragile and they're constantly being shaken. Even our own government appears to be shaken, but Christ and his kingdom cannot be shaken. Paul beautifully said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28, that King Jesus is in the process of putting all enemies under his feet. Now, he broke the penalty of sin at Calvary. He broke the power of sin in his resurrection. He is breaking the hold of sin as souls find freedom from their sin by hearing and believing and obeying the gospel and finding the forgiveness of their sins and reconciliation with God. And with every soul that submits to King Jesus and obeys him and is thus swept into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, his kingdom continues to expand into every nation and into the furthest reaches of the earth until when he at last comes again and the dead are raised, the last and great enemy of all mankind, physical death will be finally destroyed. And having put down all of the rule and power, Paul said he will then deliver that kingdom up to God, that God, he says in verse 28, may be all in all. Now, friend, I have much more faith in that king than I do any president, prime minister, or monarch, I have more confidence in that kingdom than I do the United States, the United Kingdom, the United Nations, or whatever other united power based upon whatever premise or whatever objective. 
Kings come and go and kingdoms rise and fall. But King Jesus reigns evermore. And of his kingdom there will be no end, said the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. And lastly, that the kingdom of Christ not only is an unshakable kingdom because it has an unshakable king, but it also has an unshakable constitution. If the constitution which upholds and guides a nation fails, the nation will fail. A constitution governs a country. Its laws are tested by the constitution. And if they're not in accordance with that constitution, they're struck down. It is the guiding light of any kingdom or any nation. But the constitution of Christ's everlasting kingdom is the new covenant. The New Testament, which the Hebrew writer shows is a permanent and a lasting covenant. Its premises and its promises better than the covenant of old made with Moses. The things of Moses were shaken and were removed. But the new covenant which came by Christ Jesus stands. As Jesus once said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Matthew chapter 24 verse 35. If you go to Washington, D.C., you'll find the Constitution of the United States. Signed by the founders, encased in glass, protected. The government is to operate by it. Its citizens are protected by it. But one day that piece of paper that governs this great and mighty nation will turn to ash. The constitution of Christ's kingdom, the New Testament scriptures, will stand forever. Not one word of it has passed away or become irrelevant, outdated, or lost its significance. And if it stands forever, so will the kingdom that it upholds and the king who rules it in righteousness. And therefore, we'd better be more concerned with what this constitution says than any earthly document. The kingdoms of men are passing away, but the kingdom of Christ will withstand all of the fires of earth and ultimately the fires of God's eternal judgment. Are you a citizen of that kingdom? When every nation of men is crumbled, when the earth itself is dissolved, the kingdom of Christ will stand. Nothing can destroy it. Persecution only fans the flames of its zeal. It cannot be done away with. History has proven that. The Bible prophesies and promises it. Jesus and his everlasting kingdom is the only unchanging and indestructible force there is. Therefore, how foolish to place your hopes and confidences in the kingdoms of this earth. Become part of Christ's kingdom today. Make that your concern. Put your hopes and dreams and aspirations in the kingdom of Christ and in his righteous rule. How? Well, if he's the king of a kingdom, if you want to be part of that kingdom, you must bow and surrender and submit to him as king. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that when we, by obedience to the gospel, are delivered from the dark kingdom of sin, we are then translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And that's exactly what happens when one believes and obeys the gospel of Christ. And in the watery grave of baptism has sins washed away and rises to walk in newness of life. Luke tells us that when those on the day of Pentecost did that very thing, that the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. And that is today how you can become a part of Christ's kingdom. Be delivered from the darkness and the power of sin and translated into that eternal kingdom that will forever stand and will one day be lifted up to glory to live and praise and serve God through the ceaseless ages of eternity. For many years I was a slave to Satan, a bondage man was I to do his will. 
Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. If we can assist you in learning more about how to become a citizen of this wonderful kingdom that we've described today, we hope to hear from you. We would love to study the scriptures with you. And if we can assist you in obedience to the gospel of the King of Kings, we would be delighted to do so. If you'd like a printed copy of our lesson today, get in touch with us and ask for the sermon, An Unshakable Kingdom, and we'll get that to you as quickly as we can. You can find us online, ltbstv.org, our social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We hope you'll like and follow us on those various sites and help us spread the word about Let the Bible Speak. If this is your first time to watch the program, I hope that it won't be your last and that you'll make a standing appointment to join me each time as we open up God's Holy Word and let the Bible speak. So if the Lord wills, I'll meet you back here next time. Have a great week ahead. And until we meet again, may God richly bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.